Hello, and welcome to Cross Point Church's podcast. We are here to reveal God in everyday ways that help people like you. Whether you are a Christian or not, we believe that God is not far from any one of us, and He wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it all together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either. But we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done. We want to be just like that. If you want to connect with us, just stay after the message. We'll tell you how. You can blame Phil for this that you get me two weeks in a row. He was supposed to preach this week and uh, had a grandkid or something. I don't really know (laughs) the excuse that he gave. But uh, no, he is in, I think, Pennsylvania right now celebrating the birth of his. Uh, So if you see him next week, you can congratulate him. Very, very happy. It's great. Um, welcome. Hi. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. We say that a lot, and we truly mean it. Welcome. We are so glad that you're here, uh, especially in August. It's a it's very full today, which is which is good. July and August, we just like expect people to be gone. You all like own lake houses, right? And just are like there all the time. Uh, so the fact that you're here with us, we're very honored to be worshiping the Lord with you together. Working through the Gospel Project last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 1, the story of uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being taken from Jerusalem and from their home in Israel to Babylon as exiles, living as exiles and being trained up as young men and being offered the king's food, which they denied because it broke their law of their God, and God rewarded them for their faithfulness. Uh, today, we're going to kind of skip ahead and jump to Daniel 5. If you've ever done a study of Daniel, like, it's like every paragraph and like every like heading in your Bible is like a major story that you know. Like, everything happened in Daniel. He gets like all of it. Um, unfortunately, with the Gospel Project, we like skip most of it. So, I'm going to do like a little five-minute recap of, uh, of kind of Daniel's two through four before we get to Daniel 5 today. Uh, So in chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He brings all the wise men to interpret it in the land, and none of them can. So he's going to kill them. Fantastic. Uh, And so Daniel hears about it, and he says, King, just hold on a second. And so he prays. uh, Actually, all four of those guys pray, and God reveals the dream to Daniel, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar. And so what we see, we see this pattern actually in 2, 3, and 4 of King Nebuchadnezzar being self-aggrandizing, making himself more prominent than anybody, especially God. And then God uses Daniel to do something, or he uses Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do something, and it humbles Nebuchadnezzar. And it's this constant pattern. So that's what happens in this dream, that Nebuchadnezzar ends up worshiping God because of Daniel's interpretation of it. And then you go to the very next chapter. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Sets up a big golden statue and says, worship this, which is me, or I'll kill you. I think he has forgotten something in that time. So we all know the story of the fiery furnace. It's probably my favorite story in Scripture. I say that a lot, but I mean it this time. Like it is because it has the best, well, I think one of the best lines of Scripture, right? That he is, they are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace for not worshiping the golden statue that he has set up. And what do they say? Verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. 
If our God who we serve, he is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve the statue that you have set up. Man, I'll tell you what, there's a whole sermon in that line, especially in this moment, right, where, man, as we, if you've been raised in the church or no Christianity in America at all, we're past the peak of popularity, right? It is no longer a, like, good thing to relate to and be identified with our Savior and what he stands for, right? To tell people they are sinners and going to hell, right? So, like, man, I don't know if we're going to face stuff like that, maybe, but, like, there's going to be a time where you are faced with the choice of, say, I cannot agree with that decision. Like, I cannot do that thing you're asking me to do. And my God is able to rescue me from the situation. But even if he doesn't, I will serve him and serve him alone. Whew. Amen. We're dismissed, right? Like, goodness gracious. So good. Ugh. And then what happens? Throws into the furnace. A fourth figure. Some say Jesus, an angel. Doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not the point of the story rescues and is in there with them. Nebuchadnezzar pulls them out. And what does he do? He worships Yahweh. And then comes chapter four, where he forgets all about what just happened. He says uh, in verse four, he's like standing on his rooftop and he says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Like clearly he's forgotten. And then he's given another dream that Daniel interprets. And it is the dream where God is showing Nebuchadnezzar, I will humble you. You will worship me. And what does he do? He makes Nebuchadnezzar like a beast of the field. He makes his mind mad for a period of seven years before finally he is restored. And he once again praises Yahweh. Chapter 4, verse 37, this is the last we really see of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, and this is his last phrase. He is writing it. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Man, that is a good transition into Daniel 5, which is what we're diving into now. God's judgment of the prideful, the story of the writing on the wall. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thank you for this time that we get to dive into your word. Lord, it is such a joy to get to prepare and bring this. I hope it's a joy to hear and learn about these truths that you have written to us in your scripture, uh, of which we believe and hold in high esteem above all else, Lord, that you have written your word to us. I pray that um, it edifies our lives, that we become more transformed into the image of your son because of it, Father, and that. Things that I say that are of me are forgotten, and that the truths you want us to remember are remembered, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're an Arkansas Razorback fan. Go Hawks! <laughs> Thank you, Ernie. That is sung at the end of every Razorback victory in any sports. I'll have you know. Gearing up for football, anybody else? Let's go. I'm like, preseason is a joke, but man, it's football, so I'm going to watch it, right? 
It is hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, or at least when you think you're perfect in every way. That is what we face here in Daniel chapter 5 with the story of King Belshazzar. We're going to look at the main point real fast, and then we're going to look at the roadmap and dive. And the main point of today, the message of this chapter, God will humble those who profane and dismiss his name. God will humble those who profane and dismiss his name. Three observations from this chapter we're going to look at. The Lord confronts those who profane that which is holy. The Lord rebukes those who exalt themselves instead of him. And the Lord judges those who are found to be deficient. You know, when Daniel and those three guys were brought over from Babylon, and the chap- chapter one happened with the story of the food and being trained in the king's ways, Daniel was 18 years old. you know that? Can you believe that? Eight, I mean, we picture these guys as like old men. The disciples were like 16, right, when they started. 18 years old, chapter one. In chapter three, he's 34, right? So the fiery furnace, right? 18 to 30, so 16 years have passed between those. From chapter three to chapter five, he's 79. Isn't that crazy? We just like don't think about that. So like we look at these like great stories and God's working all throughout Daniel's life, like three or four times in his 84 years of life. If you think that God's not answering your prayer, be patient, right? The Lord confronts those who profane that which is holy. Daniel 5, verses 1 through 9. King Belshazzar, who was, by the way, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. (laughs) So, grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, taking place decades after, right, Daniel 2, 1 through 4. Unfortunately, Belshazzar was also a foolish man like his grandfather, a prideful man. In the first four verses of Daniel 5, Belshazzar did three things 
that put his arrogance on full display, ultimately sealing his fate as a conquered king. First, he threw a party with a thousand of his nobles. Parties aren't bad. This was not out of the norm for a Babylonian king. But at the time he threw his party, the Persian Empire, who would soon take over, was camped just outside of Babylon, ready to invade and conquer the king and all of Babylon. At minimum, this shows that that Belshazzar was out of touch with reality or too prideful to think that he could be conquered. So instead of preparing for that fight, he threw a party. The next thing he did was drink and get drunk in front of his party guests. While this may seem like an insignificant observation, it wasn't customary for a Babylonian king to even be in full sight of his party guests. He often was behind the scenes, whether that was for security or just to be, remain dignified, let alone being seen getting drunk and drinking. Maybe kings did, oh, I already said that. Well, I jumped ahead of my notes. Nonetheless, Belshazzar, wanting to be seen and heard, chose not to listen to the wisdom and the habits of prior kings who had established that before him, undignifying himself in the process. Finally, in his foolish pride, he commanded that cups from Yahweh's temple in Jerusalem be brought out to drink from. Now, this act was spitting in the face of the God of the Hebrews, loudly proclaiming that he did not fear their God, that he himself thought he was greater than their God. And he proceeded drinking out of the cups dedicated to Yahweh. He proceeded to praise his Babylonian idols while he drank wine from the vessels from the house of God, furthermore sealing his fate before the Lord. The moment that Belshazzar began to worship his gods, fingers appear out of thin air and begin writing a message on the walls of the throne room right next to the lampstand to ensure that everybody could see what is happening. You know the phrase, the writing on the wall. This is it. Like, this is where it comes from. And he doesn't see it. The writing on the wall. His immediate response was physical as his body responded to the angst in his mind. God's judgment against Babylon was imminent. Isaiah's prophetic words about Babylon were coming true. Isaiah 13, 11 says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. He was specifically referring right there to Belshazzar and the Babylonian kingdom right now in this time. God's desire... For all nations to know that he alone is God. All throughout the early chapters of Daniel, God was working to make his name famous as he orchestrated each and every event for his glory. King Belshazzar ignored all of the signs of God's glory to his own demise. Friends, if we're not on our guard, we can find ourselves doing the same thing. Every time we sin, we're ignoring the glory of God all around us, defiling his temple, which is us, and bowing down to idols while we do it. But God is holy, and he calls his people, made in his image, to be holy. But because of sin, we don't have the ability to live up to the standards of holiness set by God. Yet because of his love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a holy life and take the punishment of death in our place. 
We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. Observation number two. The Lord rebukes those who exalt themselves instead of him. Daniel 5, verses 22 through 24. This is Daniel speaking to Belshazzar. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. Cliffhanger, what is the writing? We'll get to that. In this passage and throughout Daniel so far, we find a key theme that is an essential doctrine throughout Scripture. God is holy. God's holiness refers to his uniqueness in being separate from all that he has created. The Hebrew word for holy, when they said it, what came to their mind was separate or set apart. We've heard that probably in church land. Holy is set apart. God's holiness also refers to his absolute purity. God is unstained by the evil of the world. His goodness is perfect. And the moral code that we find in Scripture is a reflection of his holy nature. As people made in God's image, we are called to holiness. The Israelites were called to be a holy people. God put them in the center of the ancient world. That all peoples who would pass through their land for trade or for travel would see their God that they worship, the holy Yahweh, the only true God. But the Israelites refused, turning back time and time again to other false gods, despite God sending message after message through the prophets to turn back to him. So God took that land from them and sent them to be slaves to a foreign ruler, a godless, prideful, self-aggrandizing set of kings who lifted themselves up and spat on Yahweh. Much like the Israelites themselves did time and time again. And just like the Israelite kings, God sent prophets, Daniel, to speak to these Babylonian kings. God sent Daniel to first Nebuchadnezzar, that if he did not humble himself, God would humble him. And he did humble him. And now God is sending Daniel to tell Belshazzar, because you have not humbled yourself and because you have profaned the name of God Almighty, you are finished. You and your kingdom will be destroyed and conquered. And they were. Which leads to our third observation. The Lord judges those who are found to be deficient. Daniel 5, verse 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought to it an end. 
Tackle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, which is kind of just a different form of Parson earlier. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Judgment came for a king that would not humble himself before the Lord. Of the words written on the wall, the one that sticks out most is tekel, right? Many was repeated twice to emphasize. Anytime in Scripture you see something repeated, right? Just like we do in our vernacular in normal life. It is to drive emphasis home on this word. So many, many, your days are numbered. In fact, they're numbered tonight. Like this is it. This is all you get, right? God would not change his mind. But the word tekel shed light on the reason that Belshazzar's days were numbered and why the kingdom was being ripped from him. Belshazzar was weighed and found lacking. He didn't measure up to God's standard of holiness and he received the judgment that he deserved for his actions. The Persians who killed him and took over Babylon were originally allies with the Babylonians until they wanted to extend their empire. In the sovereignty of God, he used them to conquer Babylon being sympathetic toward their conquered lands, as was the Persian way, they let the Jews keep their culture. And God used them to allow the Israelites to return to the land and rebuild the temple. We're going to get more into that next week. When we read narratives like this in the Bible, they grab our attention because they are stark reminders of the fact that none of us measures up to God's standard. Passages like this remind us that we really do, all of us, deserve God's wrath. But these stories should also point us to the cross. If God's judgment of us is based on how we measure up, we'd never make it into his kingdom. But if God's judgment is based on how Jesus measures up in our place, as he has promised for those who believe, then We have all we need to be ushered into God's eternal kingdom where sin will no longer exist. The days we have on this earth are numbered. There's a defined period of time from birth to death or until Jesus returns, but none of us knows its length. If we want to be judged and found holy, not deficient, then we must place our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus now. I don't know where you are. We say this sometimes from the platform, but there's 200 of you out there. I'm under no presuppositions that every one of you have placed your faith in Christ. Your days are numbered. They're going to come to an end. And at the end, if the blood and sacrifice of Christ is not what you stand on before God, you will be weighed and found wanting, every single one of us. (laughs) You want to hear some good news? That was dripping with sarcasm. Romans 3.11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. 
They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. (laughs) That would be quite bad news if that's like where the story stopped, right? But we also can't have the good news without the bad news. The bad news is that every one of us is weighed and found wanting. And the good news is that we have a Savior who came and gave everything. Left his heavenly kingdom from his throne. To come and be in these physical, frail bodies that get sick and that get hurt and get bruised and live a life in perfect relationship with God, always obeying him perfectly and gave the sacrifice of himself that God required to cover our sins, to make our relationship with God right again. And that's it, right? To those of you that have believed, like you're like, yes, I know this, let's move on. And I'm telling you, I don't think you're thinking that. I'm telling you, this is the centerpiece on which we stand. This is the cornerstone. And if you don't know it, uh, woe be it to me as a preacher to not preach this. That you need to come and know the Lord. To find Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. Because of the blood of the Son of God who gave himself willingly on the cross, you don't have to be found wanting anymore. By grace... You have been offered this gift. By grace, you can be made right with God. By grace, you do not have to suffer the judgment that is deserved and promised to all those who choose the rebellion of the world, who rely on their own pride and self-worth, spitting in the face of God the Almighty. That doesn't have to be you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is a gift from God, not a result of works or actions so that no one may boast. When we think about the gospel story and what he did for us, what pride can we have? When we truly consider God the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the great judge and ruler, the great savior and healer, the conqueror of all wars that he wages. Isn't that a great line from that song? The redeemer of all souls that come to him. When our perspective has the correct orientation, there can be only one response. And it is not pride. It is worship, awe, wonder, fear, honor, and service. If we boast, let us boast in Christ alone. Let us embrace the name of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Let us lift up and glorify His name to all people for all time. I do think that's a lot of what this is about. I think the days that I think too highly of myself are the days that I lose focus on the orientation between God and my relationship with Him. And so here's, we have one talkback question today, and it is this. What is something that you do every day to put God in the proper perspective in your life? There are people I know that you probably do too who have mantras or things even written out on the bathroom mirror that they say every day 
to God, to themselves, to remind themselves of who they are and who they are in light of God and who he is. So my question is, what do you do every day? What do you look at? What do you choose to focus on that lifts his name up and right lifts our name down? That we are there to uplift and glorify him and him alone. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to take some communion together. Lord, you talk a lot about judgment in the Old Testament. And it just is, it just is, it is what it is. That's, that is, <laughs> that is your justice and your righteousness coming to fruition. We can't have justice without judgment. Lord, you brought your son to show us that judgment is not what you want. You, you don't want to sit there for all time and weigh each human and find them wanting and send them away from you. You want us to come to you, Lord, with humble hearts. You have open arms for those that will humble themselves and see you for who you are, Lord. If there's anybody in this room who is unsure of that, or maybe thinks that their works have made their relationship with you right, Maybe just coming to church every week or being involved in some way or serving or giving of their money makes them right with you. Lord, I pray that your spirit does a significant work in their heart to let them know, no, that is the cart before the horse. Those things do not make them right with you. The blood, sacrifice, and death and resurrection of Jesus makes them right with you. And those things are a joyful response out of their heart that is full with the Holy Spirit, Lord. We love you. We lift up your name, Father. I do pray that we in our lives want to see everybody come to know you in our spheres of influence and that we think daily about how we can make that happen and how we can be your witnesses in this world. We love you. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were encouraged, and we'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point Church. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming, and we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. You can learn more about us at crosspointwestdallas.com, where you'll find more episodes of our podcast. You can watch past services on our YouTube channel, and we live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Until then, thank you for listening to Crosspoint Church.